today we're going to be looking at the life of Jonah as part of our summer series entitled A Cloud of Witnesses, The Ancients Point to Jesus. Now Jonah is one of the minor prophets and if you have your Bibles with you or you have your phones, I'd love for you to turn to it. It's between Obadiah and Micah. I'm not sure if that actually helps you, but there's no shame in turning to the table of contents. I just want you to get there before the end of the sermon. You know, there's really only one mention of Jonah uh, in the Old Testament outside of the book, and that's in 2 Kings chapter 14, where God uses Jonah to speak to the evil kings uh, of Samaria, Jeroboam. And Jonah is known as the rebellious prophet who ran away from God, right? He's kind of like the modern day, or sorry, the Old Testament version of the prodigal son. Now, I don't know if you can relate to him if you ran away uh, from home when you were a little kid. Now, I never had any desire to run away from home because as a little kid, I was in charge of feeding the pigs and cleaning their pens. And I thought, you know, if this is how hard it is at home, why would I ever run away? Because the world must be so much worse, right? So I had no desire to run away. But many people consider uh, Jonah to be a kid story that you learned in Sunday school, but I believe that the Spirit has something to say to us uh, as we're listening to him this morning. So we're just going to jump right into the text, uh, and that will set the context for us, and we're going to hear from God. So starting with verse 1, it says that, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. And so if you're taking notes and if you're underlining in your Bible, you need to write that down, that God is a speaking God. God is a speaking God. God speaks to us in so many different ways. God spoke to Adam and Eve face to face in the cool of the garden. He spoke to the nation of Israel through the prophets. He speaks through circumstances. He speaks through the voice of the Spirit. And in Hebrews chapter 4, it says that, you know, that In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets in many ways and at various times. But in these last days, God speaks to us by what? By his son. So God speaks to us. And if you've never heard the voice of God, if you feel like you you haven't heard the voice of God for a very long time, he's going to speak to you. He will speak to you today if you simply open his word. You know, the word is self-described as living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It divides soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So the word is alive. It's active. It is like that sword that cuts through the hard bone into the marrow of our lives. It says it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. So it really tells us what we're really like. And the word of God will come to you. And it will have a very specific word for you. You know, I was privileged early on in my Christian life to have been taught to ask three things every time I read the Bible. What is it teaching you about God? What is it teaching you about yourself? And what is it teaching you about your relationship with God and others? And so over time, I've learned to listen. And as in Matthew 28, it says, not only does it teach you, but it teaches you to obey. And God speaks to us because he loves us and he wants to reveal to us you know, himself and his purposes for us. You know, a wise mentor told, us, told me, uh, because sometimes it's not going to land right away. The word of God is not going to be applicable right there and, uh, at that time. 
But he said that it's, you know, the word of God is like snow that falls on cold ground. And sometimes we have to wait for the sun to warm the cold ground, for the snow to melt and to seep deep into the ground. But, you know, for most of us, it's not that God is not speaking to us, but he is, but we don't want to listen and we don't want to do what it says. And the reason we don't want to do what it says is because we really believe deep down in our hearts that we know what is best, that we know what we're doing. And that's really Jonah's predicament, because look at verse 2. God says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Now, you might wonder, okay, Jonah is a prophet of God, and that's what prophets do, right? They preach God's word. So what was the problem? Why couldn't he even obey a simple assignment like going to Nineveh and preaching against it? Well, I guess we have to understand what uh, the history of Nineveh for us to have a little understanding of why Jonah hated them so much. Uh, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, and the Assyrians were great warriors. You know, their name was just a byword for cruelty and atrocity. Uh, Assyrians would actually uh, skin their, captor, their captives alive, and they would cut up different parts of their bodies to uh, inspire terror in their enemies. They would uh, pull out uh, their captives' tongues and pile up their skulls by the front of the city they just conquered to say, we were here and this is what we will do to you if you oppose us. You know, towns, entire towns and villages would commit mass suicide if they heard that the Syrians were coming to invade them. And so... Because of the cruelty and paganism of the Assyrians, the Hebrew people hated them. They harbored this deep-seated hostility against them. And so I guess we can have a little bit of mercy on Jonah when he said, I don't want to go, right? He hated these people. God said, I want you to do something, but in Jonah's mind, he's thinking, I have legitimate reasons why I don't want to obey you, God. And maybe you can relate to that in a different way today. Maybe somebody has wronged you. And you say, you know, and the word of God has come to you and you said, you need to forgive that person. But you're thinking, I'm not going to do that. They don't deserve it. They hurt me. You know, many of us have heard the biblical teaching on tithing and proportional giving. But in your mind, you're thinking, I'm not going to do that. You know, that doesn't even make sense to me. I can barely get by with what I have. Or, you know, uh, the word of God has come to you and... God wanted you to speak to somebody about Jesus. And you have all kinds of reasons why you don't want to do that. But maybe you're not running away so much as you're drifting. And many of us can relate to that. You know, you go to the beach, right? And you go into the water and you're playing and splashing. And then you're finished and you go back and you go, where's my stuff? Right? I mean, somebody stole my stuff. And you're thinking, oh, it's over there, about 100 yards to your left. Because you've drifted. And so many times for us, uh, we have drifted away from our original destination. Remember the time when you felt really, really close to God. Like You would pray and God would answer your prayers. You'd go to church and it was as if the pastor was speaking right to you. You'd read the word of God and say, wow, you know, that is so applicable to me and what is going on in my situation. 
You'd be sharing your faith with anyone who moved. And then after some months and even years, you stop reading the Bible and you go, I'm okay. Stop going to church or maybe even to your life group. And after time, you know, your heart gets hardened. You stop. uh, You're not as loving as you were. Your attitude is more negative. And then you wonder, how did I ever get so far? You have drifted. So it wasn't as if you were just running, but you were drifting from him. And when we disobey the commands of God, whether intentionally or unintentionally, we are drifting. We are separating ourselves from God. And that is the Jonah in all of us. And we continue to see that again in the second part of verse 2. He says, he went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So whenever you're running or drifting, you can always find the boat going in the wrong direction. You know this. This happens, right? You want to obey God, and all of a sudden, an old buddy from your past shows up. He says, oh, don't do that. Let's go back to our old way of life. And there are temptations that come our way when we obey, want to obey God. Jonah is a prophet of God, and really, he knew that God was everywhere. And yet, he was wanting to flee from from God, because he wanted to not really flee God's presence, but he wanted to flee God's demands and expectations on him. Because you can run, but you can't hide from God's commands. You know, it's about 900 kilometers to uh, Nineveh. But it's about 4,000 kilometers to Tarshish. And just to give you a, a clue of the distance, it's about 3,360 kilometers from Toronto to Vancouver. That's the distance that he would have had to travel. And so Jonah one, would, would rather be 4,000 kilometers outside the will of God than 900 kilometers towards it. So God, I mean, Jonah was basically saying, God, even if you find me, it would be too late for me to do anything about Nineveh. So maybe God has given you a word through a sermon or maybe through your Bible reading, maybe through a wise mentor or even through the spirit of God speaking to you. And God is saying, this is what I want you to do. And Jonah didn't want to do it because there was really too much risk involved. Really, sometimes the command of God will come to us and there's risk involved. And there will be times where we will want to turn away from God's expectations. And that's why it's so important to really surround ourselves with godly people who will pray for us. Who will keep us accountable to obey God. You know, when you sense that God has spoken to you, I would want to encourage you to share it with other people who know you and love you. Write it down in your journal. Uh, Do whatever you can to solidify your commitment to God, memorize verses that will help you obey. Because this is really how we develop convictions, right? We decide what's, what we're going to do in certain situations ahead of time. So that when those times of testing come, we can take our stand. So know where you want to draw the line physically when you're in a dating relationship. Know that you're going to give to God. And you're going to do it cheerfully. Know that you're going to share the good news when uh, an unchurched friend or relative comes to you. Know that you're going to forgive someone who offends you. Decide ahead of time what you're going to do. 
and develop your convictions while it's in the light. And you notice that um, Jonah paid the fare to get on the ship. And every time you run away from God, you will end up paying. You will end up paying for the trip. Because, you know, when you go on a company trip, the company pays, right? But when you go on your own trip, like a vacation, you end up paying for it. But when we obey God, he picks up the tab. He is the one who will pay. I mean, look at uh, Moses' mother, Jochebed, right? You know, she wanted to obey God and um, uh, still have a baby despite Pharaoh's edict. And so she took Moses and then put him in a basket and, you know, down the Nile River. And then the Pharaoh's daughter found him. And then when the, the daughter, uh, Pharaoh's daughter uh, found him, he said to Jochebed after finding her, said, take this baby and nurse him for me. And what did she say? And I will pay for you. Jochebed obeyed God and God provided the way. Take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. Because running away from God will cost you time and energy, mental stability. It will cost you your joy and your health and your sense of well-being. It will cost you with a tab that you will have to pay yourself. But if you obey God, he will provide the way. You know, when we disobey the commands of God, we are, again, separating ourselves from God. Again, it's the Jonah in all of us. And the word of God will come to you. It may not be what you want to hear, and you may run. And some of you are on the run right now. And when you run, God might send a storm your way to grab your attention. And we see that in verse 4 happening to Jonah. It says this, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. And all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Jonah had made a decision to run from God, and so God sent a great wind. You know, this reminds me of a verse in Hebrews 12, where it says, you know, uh, those who God loves, he disciplines. Those who he loves, he pursues. He comes after. And so that's our second point today, is that the book of Jonah teaches us that God is a pursuing God. God is a pursuing God. When you rebel, he will not leave you alone. He will come after you. He will send a storm with your name on it. And if you're 4,000 kilometers outside the will of God, you better expect bad weather. Expect things to get shaky and things to get stormy. And you know, the storm was so bad that it threatened to wreck the ship. I mean, and these are professional sailors. So, I mean, their job is to haul cargo and people. And they're not afraid of a little storm. But this storm was so violent that it threatened to break up the ship and kill them. And so they started throwing, you know, their cargo overboard. And so they were losing their livelihood and money. And when you separate yourself from God, you also affect other people around you. You know, not only will you pay the fare to get on the boat going in the wrong direction, you will affect people around you. So for those of you who are uh, around people, especially you young people who are around people in rebellion, watch out. Unless uh, their circumstances and their storm suck you in. And you might say, but I'm not hurting anyone. 
you know, uh, with what I'm doing. Don't kid yourself. If it's not affecting people now, it will sooner or later. And that's just how it works. We end up paying, and we also make others pay in our rebellion. And then going on, it says, but Jonah, you know, we ask, well, how does Jonah respond in the storm? Well, Jonah goes down below deck where he lay down and he fell into a deep sleep. Again, sometimes in our rebellion, uh, there could be a storm and we could be sleeping. You know, we could be so far outside the will of God that you can sleep in a storm. And um, I guess I, I, I want to um, speak to, um, to those people here. You know, everybody else around you might be panicking and they, they're crying, uh, but you just stop caring for people around you because your heart has gotten hardened in your rebellion. And then even in verse 6, you know, the captain, you know, goes down to wake up Jonah. He says, wake up. Why don't you come and pray? You know, here's the captain. He's a sailor. And you know what sailors are known for, right? He's the one asking the prophet of God to pray. Pray. So we can go again outside the, the will of God and again to, to the men in the congregation, fathers. We can go so far outside the will of God that it will have to take our wives and our children, to ask us to pray when there's a storm that's brewing in our families. And it shouldn't be because God has made us responsible for the spiritual well-being of our families. He's made us the head of the home. So you can't be sleeping. You can't. And then in verse 7, it says, Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And so they cast lots. And the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? That's an interesting question to ask, right? In the storm, so what do you do? Right? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And you ask the question, really, Jonah? You worship the, the living God? Like you're worshiping God right now? I don't think so. You know, the truth is, this is one of the biggest problems in the church today. We have an entire generation, a generation of people who call themselves followers of Christ, but don't do, don't live like it. There's no distinction between them and their neighbor who is not a follower of Christ. It's a consumeristic religion. It is that lukewarm cultural Christianity. It's that kind of Christianity that says, you know, as long as God does good to me, that he gets me to heaven, you know, that when I pray, he heals me, he gives me a promotion type of Christianity. Yeah, I worship God, but my marriage is a mess. Now, you can say to yourself, well, you know, we're not happy. It's better if we uh, uh, get a divorce. Again, don't kid yourself. Worshiping God is more than an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. It is a lifestyle that demands your obedience to a holy God. One day, your friends, your relatives and neighbors who are not followers of Christ will ask you that same question. Just like those sailors ask you, ask Jonah, you know, what do you do? What do you do in the storm when the storm of life hits you and you know your life will be your answer? Your life will be your answer. So we go on in verse 10. And so this terrified the sailors. 
And they asked, what have you done? The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Jonah said, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. And I know it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. And for the very first time, Jonah acknowledges that it was his fault that this storm was happening. It was a first step to repentance. But instead, the men didn't, did their best to row back to land. You know, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And when we continue in rebellion, when we continue in disobeying God, the storm gets worse. And they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men grew, uh, greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. And then in 17, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now some of you are having a hard time believing this story, because you can't even imagine eating fish for three days, let alone being in the belly of a fish for three days. But you know, this... this uh, Miracle is not really that great of a miracle. In 1891, uh, James, uh, a man by the name of James Bentley, was um, swallowed by a whale off the Falkland Islands. He, he was in a whaling expedition, and uh, the whale uh, attacked the ship, you know, and so he fell into the mouth of the whale. And uh, his peers actually found him when they killed the whale, and they were gutting the um, the whale, and they found him in the stomach. He had survived there for 18 hours. Now, whether or not that story is true, and, you know, it's, uh, it was reported in the newspaper, really the, greatest, the greater miracle is that uh, it's not so much that a fish swallowed a man, but that uh, the fish obeyed God. Right? I mean, this fish swallowed this man all under the command of God. And then in chapter 2, it says, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord. And then skipping down to verse 10, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it to, uh, to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. So again, for the first time, uh, in this story, Jonah finally prays, and he prays this prayer of repentance. And as a result, uh, the fish vomits Jonah out onto dry land. And so even while Jonah was just praying, the fish was already making its way to dry land. And you ask the question, where, where's this, dry, you know, where's this uh, dry land anyway? Well, if you think about it, and if you trace the course, it would have to be Joppa. You know, the original destination of his disobedience, or the original point of his disobedience. Because he still had to go to Nineveh from there. Not only is God a speaking God, but he is willing to repeat himself, because he says it a second time. God said, go, and I will give you the details later. So sometimes God doesn't give us all the details. He just wants us to obey. And, you know... God didn't change his word. Jonah had to change his actions and to conform to his word. And then, finally then, Jonah does what he was 
intentionally he was originally supposed to be doing. So he's going around Nineveh and he's yelling. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And get this, the Ninevites. You know, the, the people who would be cutting off tongues and heads and this, you know, putting them in front of the city, who would be um, uh, pillaging people. So the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. That's phenomenal. Sometimes I read over that and, you know, I've read it so many times, but we have to almost allow that to sink into our hearts and minds. And then in verse 10, it says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and then did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. God gives us an opportunity to repent. And this is our third point because he is a gracious God. He's a gracious God. Repentance can avert and lessen judgment. And, you know, this was a violent people. But it says that the whole city repented. This was probably one of the biggest spiritual awakenings in human history. Nineveh was a great city. It says later on in that uh, chapter, it was a three days journey to go from one end to the other. That's about, uh, they say, about 100 kilometers and it had an inhabitants of about 120,000 people. And Jonah was running away from the word of the Lord from one of the biggest spiritual awakenings in human history. And could you imagine what would have happened if he didn't get there? And so you ask the question, what might you be missing in your rebellion when you're not obeying God? When you do something for God that you don't like, God is going to provide and he will use you. And sometimes he doesn't explain everything because he wants you and he wants us to walk by faith and not by sight. The story ends with Jonah being very angry with God for saving the Ninevites. And you know the story. He was angry that the Ninevites got saved. And, you know, there might be some people who you don't want to be saved. Like, what? Um, uh, well, you know, there's been a lot of uh, negative things being said, both by uh, non-Christians and Christians in the media, about people groups, about uh, communities, uh, you know, um, uh, especially down south, right? And yet God is showing us that he wants all people to come to repentance and to be saved. It's interesting to note that um, Nineveh, is really the modern-day city of Mosul. That's northern Iraq. You know, the stronghold of ISIS. And sometimes there's people going on on TV, and again, even Christians who are saying, I don't want those people to be saved. You know, they deserve what they get. And the message for us is contrary to that. Again, you might be saying, well, I'm not like that. Yeah, those people, you know, in the U.S. are like that. Well... There may be people in your life that are ready to come to God. God has been working in their lives and you have been silent. God has been moving and turning and they're on the verge of coming to Christ and you have remained silent. In the end, your silence may be keeping them from the Lord. And basically you're saying, well, no, I don't want them to come to know the Lord. And so as I close... Uh, I, we just have to ask this question because it begs to be asked. I mean, why does God even bother with Jonah? Right? He could have sent 
any other prophet of God. Why does he bother with Jonah? Well, you know, the book of Jonah is really full of irony. I mean, it's just from beginning to end, it's so much, it's so full of irony. We have a prophet of God who's rebelling and running from God while we have sailors who are praying and getting saved. We have a prophet of God who would rather die than save Nineveh. And we have sailors who would rather die than commit murder. We have uh, a prophet of God who, you know, God sends the, the wind, the fish, and the plant. And he disobeys. And we have a fish, the wind, and the plant who obeys God. It's so full of of irony. And uh, we ask the question again, why? It's because God is interested in our spiritual maturity. God is so interested in conforming us to the image of himself. And because he wants to use us uh, to accomplish his purposes, he appointed the wind, the fish, and the plant. And maybe what's happened to you is by God's appointment. I'm not saying that every bad thing that happens to us, you know, is for a specific purpose because we're disobeying. And so don't go away from here and, you know, then email me and saying, oh, you know, that I said that uh, every bad thing is because we are disobeying. No, that's not the case. We live in a broken world. But what I am saying is that sometimes God allows these things uh, is by his appointment because he loves us. And also, you might be so busy from running, or maybe you're just so inattentively drifting that you're not even seeing what God is doing in your life. And so we began with asking the question, well, how does Jonah point to Jesus? Well, the story of Jonah really is the heart of the gospel. You know, the story of Jonah is about a God who speaks. In John 1.1, 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, and it says, you know, that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The irony of the Gospel is that the Creator became a creature. The Gospel is ironic. And the message of Jonah is that God is a pursuing God. That we all rebelled like Jonah. We went away from His will and purpose. And so he pursued us, and he sent people, he sent circumstances, and he sent his spirit to move us, to chase after us. You know, the message of Jonah is that God is a gracious God, that even in our rebellion, God sent his son, Jesus. Just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, God sent Jesus, you know, who lived, who died, was buried, and he rose on the third day according to the scriptures, for us. God speaks to us and pursues us because he is a gracious God. He's made a way for us to come to him through Jesus so that we don't have to pay the judgment of our rebellion before a holy and righteous God. And if you're here today and you're in that category, you know, you don't have a relationship with God, I, again, appeal to you. This is the message of the gospel. The God is speaking to you right now. He is pursuing you because he is gracious. And he wants you to have a relationship with you. And not only did Jonah point to Jesus, 
But Jesus pointed to Jonah. In uh, Matthew 12, we read, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said this, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And Jesus answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. As for Jonah, um, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is saying, you want the sign? I've been giving you signs. You know, the lame walk, the blind see, you know, the lepers are clean, the dead are, made, are brought to life. You're just looking for an excuse to reject me. But I will give you a sign. I'll give you the sign of Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish. For three days, and when he came out, Nineveh was changed. When Jesus was in the grave, when he came out, the world was changed. If a rebel like Jonah can preach to uh, Nineveh and turn things around, and Jesus, who is greater than Jonah, is here, and he can change your situation, he can change the world. The word of the Lord has come to you, and you have a choice. You can either obey or disobey. When God speaks to you, you can always find the ship going the wrong direction, and you will end up having to pay the fare. And when you run, you know, he may send a a storm to get your attention, and that storm can be violent, so much so that you may wish for death. But when he does, when God does this, It's because he loves you and he is pursuing you. He is speaking to you because he is gracious. Because he has something for you. And he might have a whole city, a group of people that he wants you to to impact. So you've got a choice. You can keep running or you can return to him. And my prayer is that you turn to him. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and I'm just going to pray. Lord, for those who... We do not know Jesus. They're, maybe they've never even heard of Jesus. Maybe they've been that cultural Christian who, who says, you know, I just want to uh, go to heaven. They don't really understand that God is the God who became man so that we could relate to him, that um, he had sent his son to pay for the penalty for our sin so that we might have new life. I pray that they would come to you today. Jonah was in the belly of the fish that uh, we know that this message is true because Jesus rose from the dead and he said he would. I pray for those who are in rebellion or maybe just indifference towards Jesus that they would sense the call of God on their lives today. That their word is speaking to them and may that word land upon their hearts. May that heart become good soil. Lord, we want to respond to you in love because you loved us first. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, I didn't really know what the benediction was going to be. I've been praying, and when I was standing there worshiping with you, um, you know, I sensed that uh, there are people here who have been waiting for a sign from God. You've been waiting and hearing uh, and wanting a word from God. And the word of God for you is that Jesus is your sign. He is God's word to you. 
and that he loves you and that he cares for you. So go in Jesus' name.